Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. We're in the Christmas season, so we're going to preach from the Christmas story. Is that all right? Good. It'll be on the screen behind me, so why don't you read along if you, if you can, if you've got your Bibles open up as well. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says this. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged or betrothed to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within, you, within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message to his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph's voice woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until his son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you that where two or more gathered, you are there in their midst, and we thank you, almighty God, you are here to change hearts. You're here to breathe courage into hearts. You're here to bring perspective and, and alignment and, and faith to follow you wholeheartedly. I thank you, Father God, would you open hearts in this moment? Would you open minds? And ultimately, would you remind us that you have opened the heavens and your blessing and your favor and your goodness are being poured out upon us as we lean in with faith. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, 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 amen. I love Christmas time, I love Christmas carols, I love everything that goes with it, and, uh, and uh, sometimes when you think about the Christmas story, it's like this calm, peaceful, idyllic baby Jesus in a manger, and it's just it's, it's beautiful, and it's soothing, and it's soft, and then you, you pile on top of that some of the carols, which is, silent night, this is just a, 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 a teaser for what's to come, you know, all is calm, all is bright, and it's like this, ah, oh, sweet, you know. It's just like this beautiful and calm, and uh, and then and I don't know about you. In this season, you you get you turn on the television, and there's all this pile up, a pile upon pile of Hallmark movies, which have these incredibly sweet and beautiful uh, storylines and happy endings, and it's just wonderful and soothing and it's lovely. But I don't know about you, but it just feels like that sort of Christmas has no place in 2020. I don't know about you. I'm like that peaceful, quiet Christmas does not seem to gel with the year that we've just had. And I want to tell you even better than that, is that is not the Christmas of the Bible. It is not the story that the biblical writers tell us about. Let me give you a sneak peek about what we've just read, that actually, this scripture says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. We're introduced to Joseph and Mary, who are young, dumb, young, dumb, broken, and in love, and they're planning this wedding. They've got this incredible life heading in front of them, and Mary preaches up and says, hey, Joe, I'm pregnant, and Billie Jean, she is not my kid. He's like... And, and it's this crazy moment where suddenly he goes, he goes, Joe, I'm pregnant, and, and actually it's, the child's not yours. It's, it's of divine intervention. And Joseph's like, hey, I'm from Nazareth, that backwater town. I've watched a lot of Jerry Springer. I've heard that one before. And the scriptures tell us that Joseph then in this chaos of this world, as he starts to then plot to divorce her because of engagement, was like a, it was a hectic deal, it was betrothal. And this, this whole story starts off with scandal and intrigue. And, and I want to tell you, and from the very get-go, we see him, this whole story turning from happily ever after to very quickly becoming happily ever disaster. 
not how he planned, not how Joseph thought it would go, and everything comes crashing down on itself. And right there I go, silent night, all is calm, all is bright, not to Joseph. Christmas in the Bible is very, very different. And I want to say to you today, it reminded me about my, my, the first day of my wedding, of my married life, after a wedding, to my beautiful wife, Fiona. And uh, we had this incredible marriage, this wedding. It was beautiful. It was romantic. It was spectacular. It, Fiona was incredibly beautiful, and I was there. And, um, <laughs> and it was just wonderful, you know. And then the next day, day one of the, of the honeymoon, we were so excited. But the problem was that the night before, as we left the wedding venue, a friend of mine, and I'll name and shame him, Brad King, came with sawdust. And he filled our car up to the brim with sawdust. And what, one thing, uh, if you are not somebody who's into sawdust, was if you get a bit of moisture onto sawdust, that thing starts to clump and goes and sticks to the fabric of the car and is incredibly hard, not just to remove, but to get out. And, it, and it's, it's disgusting. So before we went on honeymoon, we had to drive this car a long distance. We had to stop on the way. We hadn't even left Somerset West when we had to pull into a garage and, and have the car cleaned. And I remember sitting with my wife of day one of marriage on a bench in between two rubbish bins that were smelling from last night's KFC and uh, rotting carcasses and just whatever, somebody else, and just not smelling good. We're sitting there. The car's being cleaned. We're having two, uh, some milkshakes from the garage that we've purchased. No, it's highly romantic. And uh, the milkshakes are slowly curdling, and so am I as a redhead in the sun. Just, it's just not feeling good. And I remember looking at her saying, is this what you pictured day one of marriage to be like? And with that in mind, I want to ask us this question today. What happens when the happily ever after becomes happily ever disaster? What happens when all the plans that you had, all the promises that were made, all the, the schemes and desires of your heart don't match up with the, with the fulfillment of what's going on? What happens when the relationship fails? What happens when the business goes under? What happens when the bills keep piling up and the, the funds seem to keep miraculously diminishing? What happens when anxiety meds you've been on stop working like they used to? What happens when the secret habit becomes a full-blown addiction? What happens when the person you have relied on betrays you and lets you down? What happens when your sin, your situation, and Satan over overwhelm you and you don't know what to do, what happens when a happily ever after becomes like a happily ever disaster, what do we do? Well, I'm glad you've asked, Life Changes City, because I want to take us to the word, to this story today and help us navigate through the eyes of Joseph, what he did, how he responded, and how ultimately the good news of Jesus Christ in invades these stories time and time and again, not just in Christmas, hashtag the prototype Christmas, number one, but every Christmas ever since, every day ever since, and actually into 2021, into your lives, into our future. So with that in mind, the first point as we look at this narrative is we have to understand the backstory. The, and in Joseph's eyes, the backstory disaster. You see, the story starts off says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. But actually, if we understand the writer Matthew, this is not his opening salvo. The whole first chapter, this is right in the middle of the first chapter. But he starts the first chapter with this exhaustive list of how we generationally have arrived at this character called Joseph and ultimately Mary, who will bear the son named Jesus. And he starts off this list, and it's beautiful, be on the screen behind me. It's wonderful, exciting reading. It says this, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, are you guys bored yet? Do you want me to keep going? Let's just stay Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of, we can just keep going and going and going. For time's sake, I'll leap to the end where it says, Mathen was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave, gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. 
and it's this beautiful list. And the, at first glance, it just, it's, just, it's almost like this, he's setting the scene for us of, how, of all these incredible heroes, all these amazing figures that will go, wow, incredible um, fathers of the faith. Wow, and that's where Je- the line that Jesus came from. But actually, when you understand what Matthew is doing, where you start reading the list with a little bit of backstory and context to it, you realize this is the dodgiest uh, list, invite list that you have ever, ever received. The dodgiest Christmas list with, of guests that you've ever, ever received. And I, I want to read it again with a bit, little bit more context here. It says, let me tell you a little bit when you understand each character in the story. Hello, my boy. There's my kids, everybody. I apologize. <laughs> but this is how it goes. It says this. Abraham, who was an idolater and an adulterer, was the father of Isaac. Isaac, who was a manipulator and a deceiver, was the father of Jacob, who was a compulsive liar. If you keep going, you find a lady in that list called Rahab, who was a prostitute. In that list, you'll find a man named David, who was a notorious adulterer and murderer. Solomon was a polygamist. Rehoboam was a dictator despot. And Mary and Joseph themselves were two dirt poor teens who had very shady reputations. When you start reading this list, you realize that it's actually not a list of the blessed good, but rather a list of the blessed bad. Scoundrels who are included in this incredible narrative of Jesus. You still don't, I don't think I've convinced you yet. Let me tell you, there's these characters I mentioned there named Judah, and this guy named Judah has this incredible story in the Bible. Yes, it's in the Bible. It's not made up by Hollywood. It's not made up by the, the, the most devious minds of our present day. No, it is made up. It's a story that's real in the Bible. Judah was a man that had three sons. His oldest son was married to a lady named Tamar. But Tamar was married to this guy. Before they could have a kid, that son died. So the law of the land was she had to then marry the next brother who was going to give her a child. But that brother, as they got married, also died. At this level, Judah's going, this is a black widow or something. And he's got one more son. He's saying, I'm not giving her because I don't want him to die. So he holds that son from Tamar, which is wrong and illegal in that culture. Because actually in those days, that that woman, he was robbing her of her dignity of her future. Because if she did not have a child, then actually she was going to be cast aside. So because of the situation, Tamar took the situation to her hands, and knowing Judah's notorious reputation of being a drunkard and a bit of a philanderer with a woman, she dressed up like a prostitute. This list is actually full of them. And she pitches up at the, at the place where she knew Judah would be when he would be drunk, and Judah walks in, sees this woman, sleeps with her, and at the end of it, she says, actually, I, I need to make sure that this is going to go well. So she, she takes the, the equivalent of his identification, his ID book for, for our, our, our present day reality to keep that. And then he sobers up, he goes off, but she falls pregnant with a child. And when she comes and appears at the next family gathering saying, I'm pregnant, Judah in hypocrisy says, how dare you? How dare you pitch up pregnant? You're not married to anybody. How dare you be pregnant? And she goes, ha let me tell you the father is, it is you. That's a great family reunion. It seems like what's, it's like, wow, what soapy is this on days of our lives? No, the Bible. This is the story we've got there, and it's this incredible narrative of these guys who are found in the Bible. What is the moral of that story? I don't know. There's no redeeming character, but the, I love the fact that they are somehow included in the story, and what's amazing is that out of that, that re- sexual relationship of, of brokenness is she has twins, and those twins, those twins made from that that were produced from that relationship, from that sinful moment, make it into this list. She is, Judah is the father of Perez and Zerah. And what is so huge is Perez's name means breakthrough, and Zerah's name means scarlet, means red, 
And it's this divine understanding that the, 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 the scarlet blood of Jesus of breakthrough is woven through all of this mess, all the way through this narrative. And why I love that is I want to tell you that I thank God that he is not afraid of our mess and our perversity. He is not afraid of our mess and our perversity because my R18 sin needs some really explicit medicine. And before you sit there and go, oh, Gabe, he's about to confess something, let me tell you, your R18 mess needs some explicit strong medicine. And if you are thinking that your sin is somehow better than my sin, can I tell you, then you are in bigger trouble than me. Because the Bible says us all have fallen short and that sin is leading us to death. And sin is an affront to a holy God. No matter how well you manage it, no matter what you call it, that sin is an affront to a holy God and it needs some strong medicine to be dealt with. But I want to tell you the great news is that our X-rated sin needs the explicit gospel. And with that in mind, I want to remind us that our breakthrough is inviting Jesus into our breakdown. Our breakthrough is inviting Jesus into our breakdown. And I want to remind our hearts that we have a God who identifies with the worst of us, the least of us, the secret part of us, the shame part of us, but we have a God that won't let that part of us define us. You see, that when you understand the backstory, you understand there's a backstory disaster here that we have to lead into. The second understanding as we keep making our way through this is we find the biology disaster. You see, this is the birth, how Jesus the Messiah was born. You see, Mary becomes pregnant, and she comes to Joseph saying, hey, I'm pregnant. I, you're not the dad. I was born from, from an angel, and, and he's like, oh, my gosh, trying to make sense of this. And it's confusing him, it's, and he's going, listen, and from his lens, he's going, my fiancé is acting a lot more like a Beyonce, less like a fiancé. And it's like, this is crazy. I don't know how to do this, how to understand this. And the Bible tells us, though, in response to this illogical statement from this young lady who was going to be his wife, Something that does not make sense, that never happened before and has never happened since. And he's trying to make sense of this. The Bible says that Joseph was a good man. Other synonyms we can use there, I can imagine, is Joseph was a good man, a rational man, a reasonable man, a logical man. A man who then, because of this, he says, that doesn't make sense, that happily ever is becoming a happily ever disaster, so I'm going to divorce her quietly, I won't make a big scene, I won't embarrass her, but maybe I can reroute my life and go a different direction, wash my hands of that ordeal, because I don't want anything to do with that mess. But here's the thing, Joseph, a good man, rational man, reasonable man, logical man, but I want to say this, God never commended man for being reasonable. Never said, well done, my good and reasonable, logical, rational servant. Nope, he didn't say that. And I want to remind us that we are not natural men and women. We are born from above. We are born of spirit. We are supernatural people who have a different identity, a different citizenship that's not from earth but from heaven. And we have to rewire our hearts. And opposite, the, often we have to realize that the opposite of faith is not doubt, but according to Scripture, it is sight. What do I mean by that? The Bible says that faith is the evidence of things not seen. And so often our sight betrays us because we see things and our rationality and our logic kicks in and we say, no, but God couldn't possibly do it that way. God couldn't possibly bring uh, uh, life out of that mess. God couldn't possibly be doing it that way. And we start to justify it based on the, the narratives of man, based on the narratives of CNN and Fox News and SABC 1, 2, and 3 on present speeches. And we start basing our narrative of earth's agenda when actually God says, no, 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 there's a different agenda. I birth things from heaven. And this is so huge for you and I because actually no one, no one, no one expected the Messiah to come as a baby. Generation after generation after generation of Israelite people waited expectantly for the Messiah. Expectation was the problem, but 
this problem was their sight. Their eyes could not believe this is how God would move. No, you would not send the Messiah as a baby to a virgin in Nazareth. No ways, no thank you, I don't want that. That doesn't, that's not reasonable, it's not rational, it's not logical. And this is understanding for you and I, is that actually, in this whole thing, I want to remind us, the questions will come up, how can God help us thrive in this economy? Rationality, logic, reasonability will not have an answer for that. How can God help us thrive and live in this political climate? How can God bring life out of an impossible or barren situation here and now? How can God bring joy out of my marriage, joy out of my relationship, joy out of my my finances? How can God bring life in that situation? It's not possible. We get stuck at the biology, the natural ramifications, and so much so that there's the, the, the Greek word for life, natural life, life that happens when one plus one equals two, when a man and a woman come together and produce a baby, when, when your effort and produces a result, that natural, that word for, the Greek word for life is bios, where we get our word biology from, where logic adds up and gets a result. But now, when the scriptures talk about the life from God, the breath of God, the life that only God can give, in him was life and the life of man, that word is not bios, it's zoe, the zoe life of God. And it's a different thing. It's not, the, it's not logical, it's not rational, it's the life that only God can bring. And it's the life that was spoken about into Mary's womb, that life that came from heaven, not from earth, not from Joseph, not from any human agency, but God alone. So much so, the best way I can illustrate this is from a story about a man named Ryan Matthews, a friend of ours, that years ago, he, um, he encountered somebody in his church who was barren. They could not fall pregnant, and they tried. They tried the medicine. They tried this thing. They tried that thing. They tried that. They, they'd, they'd gone through therapy, and, and everything failed them, and it just seemed like logically we are barren. In a moment of faith, Ryan Matthews, who understood this principle, who had a daughter named Zoe, perchance, but understanding that 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 name went up to him in a moment of faith with this little baby girl called Zoe and put that baby in that couple's arms and says, actually, I prophesy the Zoe life of God that goes beyond the biology, beyond the bios. When your bios has failed you, I want to prophesy the Zoe life of God. And can I tell you, they received it by faith and nine months later, they were pregnant with their own child. Logic, reasonable, rational, no. Biology, failed. But actually, God says, I bring life when man says no. This is the great thing. I want to say this, that in Luke's gospel, we're talking about this narrative. He says this, that with God, nothing is impossible. Now, it's so huge, because that doesn't say, for God, nothing is impossible. Now, for God, nothing is impossible is 100% true. I'm not doubting that. And I think most of us, logically, reasonably, rationally, would go, for God, yeah, nothing's impossible. Sure, that's fine. I can logically say that. But what the angel says in that moment with Mary, says, no, with God, nothing is impossible. What he's saying is, I want partnership. I want you to take your little life, your logic, your reasonable rationality, and actually I want you to link it to a superior source. Now it's not denying the other facts, it's actually saying there's a superior fact. It's not, it is a superior fact called faith, and this is what we have to tap into. And I wanna say this is the truth. So we've got the, the backstory disaster, the biology disaster, and we get finally to the whole crux of the thing, the bottom line. Quite literally, the bottom line of the text. You see, it says this, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. And then in, if you go on the slide behind me there, yeah, thank you. It says this, it says, all of this occurred to fill the Lord's message to his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child to give birth to his son, and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And then we get to the bottom line, which says, when Joseph woke up, can you say it with me? Say, wake up. Well, you guys did well there. 
when Joseph wake up, woke up, and you know, and if, if I can be honest, is when Joseph became woke. Uh, anyway, just um, <laughs> you realize the real truth. No, but, but I want to say this, that actually I think it's time for the church in this season to truly wake up. Truly wake up. What I mean by that, wake up from, from, being, uh, from being caught up in conspiracies, wake up from being caught up in anxieties and fears and sideline issues and pet agendas, and actually it's time for the church to unleash the power of the gospel, the explicit gospel. Our message is not political, our message is from heaven. And I want to preach this to my own heart, my own fickle heart that gives way to fear and to agendas and say, actually, my hope, my future is not in Trump, Biden, Russia, in Zuma, in, in, in Cyril Ramaphosa, in economies and what's going on in corrupt. No, my hope is in him and the gospel. And this is what we've got to preach ourselves. And it's time Joseph woke up. I love this. And this is the bottom line. He did three things. It appears in yellow there. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. He did as the angel commanded. The reasonable, rational, logical man just said, you have spoken, all right. It doesn't make sense, but I'm gonna obey. It's the bottom line. You can have discussions, you can have, com you can have arguments, you can say, what about this, what about that? But what I can just say to you, or oh, you're gonna obey. Are you gonna take God at his word in this thing? And this is so huge, because actually, I, I wanna say, and this will come across quite strong, so uh, I don't apologize, but receive it as it is. But the spirit of this age, listen to me, the spirit of this age is actually to abort things when they don't match up with our, what we want. When they don't fit in with our agenda, we abort them. When they don't fit in with our timing, we abort them. What, what I mean more than that is actually when it's no longer convenient, when it's no longer agreeable, when it's no longer suitable, I'm out. And it's given rise to this thing called cancel culture. Seen it? When somebody whose voice you've trusted for years says something that, oh, that doesn't match with me, canceled, I'm done with you. Unfollow, I'm out of it. When no matter whatever their track record is, it's cancel culture and it's just ravaging the world. And actually, I want to tell you, cancel culture does not appear in the Bible because Jesus is actually redeeming everything that's fallen short, redeeming people who have made mistakes. The only thing he has canceled is the record of wrongs that have been held against you. And this is the understanding that's so huge here, is that actually so often a lot of us are reading scripture, and these days people are cutting pages out of the Bible. I love the scriptures, I love God, I just don't love that. Cut it out, cut it out, cut it out. And they're wondering why they're not experiencing the power of the explicit gospel. You see, this is huge, is that we cut out relationships because of offense. And my friend Tyler said it this morning, I thought it was so remarkable. He says, so often when we are offended, or we, we come up against a relational challenge in community, most people, what they do is they, they retreat. They say, I'm out of here. I'm offended. I'm done. And he says, actually, when that happens, when you're offended, you're actually this close to seeing breakthrough and God bringing freedom in your life. If you only resist the urge to get out, kick out, abort, I'm out, and actually deal with it. You see, we cut out responsibilities because I want things on my terms. The spirit of this age is aborted. The spirit of God is adopted. Adopted. Joseph, it's not from you. It doesn't fit in your paradigm, but you're gonna be the father of that child. Adopt it. It doesn't fit into your timeline, your schedule, your happily ever after. It looks like a happily ever disaster, but adopt it because it's from me. This is so huge, and I wanna remind us, we mustn't be a people who divorce our destiny because of disappointment. And that's the headline for this year. Do not divorce your destiny because of disappointment. Divorce what God has called you to do because actually I haven't seen it yet. And actually this year my expectations fell short, I'm out. 
He did as the angel of the Lord commanded. Secondly, he did not consummate the marriage. He did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. You see, this is huge because he was a carpenter. And carpenters like to make things. They like to fix things. They're the handyman. The, the, the light bulb is not working. He'll be the first guy. I'll fix it. Things, the, the wires aren't working. He'll understand. This wire is connected to that wire, connected to that wire. You know, I don't even know those things. I'm not a carpenter. But he was. But, but he was the guy who was able to, he was the answer to all the questions. I can, I can do that job. I can do that job. And he's, he used to fix things. He, he was a man who was able to do that sort of ability and to make it look a certain way. But in this instance, he refused to take it into his own hands. You see, don't you understand the temptation for him is going, cool, I received that, but actually I'm going to sleep with her so then I can fudge the timeline. So if anyone ever asks, they go, no, 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 yeah, yeah, it, it might be mine. But no, he refused to say, no, it's, it's God. It's God. You see, what is so huge about this is that we don't serve a Photoshop God. Our culture is that. We know that. I've seen a lot of people's faces, some of yours, on Facebook, on Instagram. You're looking a lot younger and a lot handsomer, and the six-pack is looking much more real and defined than I've seen you in real life. Take that rebuke if you want it. <laughs> but we serve that. Put a filter on it. Change that. Cut that person out, that photo. Cut that out. And we live our lives like that. We manufacture our lives. When God said, no, I'm not doing that. Look at that list of people. He doesn't fudge that person out because they've got a bad reputation. No, God says, no, my life will still be wired in because of my gospel even despite their failure. And this is so huge is that Joseph doesn't cover up. He doesn't try and cover it up and I'm, you know, I might be the dad. Let's not make it a big deal about that. Hey, Mary, that virgin birth thing, well, I'm trying to be down a little bit. I'm here, but uh, it doesn't go well with my, my street cred. It's hard with the guys at the bar to try and explain them that thing. No, he doesn't cover up. But the temptation is for you and I, we love to do that. We love to, even we, we, these days even a certain preacher in America has fallen morally and has rocked the world because they've seen a guy they've held in esteem. And actually, can I tell you, the moral failure, although it's terrible and it's dreadful and it's caused chaos in the family, that thing, as I read scripture, is not beyond the explicit gospel bringing restoration. The problem is, and the sadness in my heart, is the refusal on his behalf to call it sin. And that's what the world does. We now do replace the word sin, we call it, I messed up. I've, uh, I'm, I'm having some troubles, I have some struggles. But the Bible says if you call it sin, then the remedy, the gospel can res rescue that. Because the gospel is there for your sin, for where you fell short. Our R18 mess needs the strong medicine of the gospel, but too many of us are just covering it up and not allowing the gospel to penetrate. We're covering up like, like what I've been reminded of recently. If you have a little baby, which I do, and they make a mess in their nappy and you can smell that stench. Can I tell you, here's Parenting 101. It's, this is for free. You can buy my book on parenting afterwards. What you don't do is go and get another nappy and just put it on top of that first nappy. <laughs> and then as the smell starts to seep through and you're like, oh, that's not looking good unsightly, just put another one. And we laugh because it's gross, but that's what we do. We just keep covering up, keep covering up, and we wonder why we're getting exhausted, wonder why we're not seeing breakthrough, wonder why we're not seeing the power of God, because he says, actually, don't cover up, don't take it into your own hands, trust me. He didn't try to cover up, and also he didn't try to take credit. He didn't sleep with her and say, yeah. So years later, when Jesus is walking water, he was like, yeah, you should have seen him crawling on puddles at nine months. I had him. It's my job. I'm good. No, he didn't take credit. He said, no, this is of God. And I love the fact that after this passage, it's almost like Joseph exit scene left. I'm going to adopt this child. I'm going to be in the shadows. I'm going to serve the agenda of God. I'm not going to take it into my own hands. And finally, he did as the Lord commanded. He did not consummate the marriage. Finally, he called him Jesus. I love that. Joseph named him Jesus. 
not Joseph Jr. Didn't look up the top 10 names in Bethlehem and say, oh, that one sounds good, you know, that one will be cool. No, the angel said, name him Jesus. Why? Because Jesus' name was linked to his mission. Jesus was the one who was coming to save. Don't name him on your agenda. Don't name him on your principles. Name him Jesus. And this is so huge. I want to remind us, stop calling what God has given you insignificant. Stop calling what God has given you as small. Stop calling what God has given you as frustrating. Stop calling God has given you as not important. Call it what he has called it. Call it what he has called it. Call the, the, the job that you've been called to as, as, as wonderful, as beautiful, as an opportunity. Call the church that God has called you to as great, as they've got a significant future because God has called you to it, not you. Name it what he has called it, but actually, ultimately, name it, name, find the name of Jesus in your story. No matter the backstory, no matter the biology, no matter the barrenness, no matter where you're falling short, with the bottom line is, are you declaring Jesus over your marriage? Are you declaring Jesus over your situation? Are you declaring Jesus over your relationship? Are you declaring Jesus over your finances? Are you declaring Jesus over your emotions? Because actually counseling and, 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 and having conversations and therapy, all those things are good things and don't hear what I'm not saying. But I'm telling you, if they're not anchored bottom line to Jesus, they're insipid and weak. We need the explicit gospel. We need it. We need it. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. I will tell you the bottom line was that he allowed the name of Jesus center stage over his backstory over his biology, and into the happily ever after that turned into a happily ever disaster, he allowed the life of Jesus to penetrate. And because of that, the Christmas story is not all as calm, all as bright, but thank God it's not, because our lives aren't. Our year has not been. Our relations are not. But Jesus' name is bright and brings peace and brings salvation.